Okay, well, welcome to this uh, edition of The Little Breakfast. And I'm pleased to say that um, we've got Dan Strange back. Dan has already been on uh, one episode and he, he did so well, we thought we'd invite him back. So, really? yeah, so great to uh, have you back on The Little Breakfast. Thanks for joining us, Dan. Great to be with you, Clive. Great to be with you, everyone else. Um, yeah, look forward to the conversation. You were in a uh, different location to last time. Have you have you moved house? Yeah, so last time I think I was speaking to you from London, we've just moved to Gateshead. Um, we're about five, literally five minutes from the Angel of the North, so in a oh. place called Lofell. Um, I've started a new ministry with an organisation called Crosslands Forum, which is part of Crosslands Training, so still theological e- education. It's the kind of a centre for cultural engagement and religion. So the stuff we're talking about today is kind of now yeah. my kind of day job, bread and butter. Yeah, so quite different to being a... A principal at a Bible college, basically. A theological yes. College, yeah. Uh, yeah, I was saying before that it just kind of, I, and not in a bad way, I just think, well, I was like, okay, well, for 15 years, and you become quite kind of institutionalised by the rhythms and living in community. At the moment, every day is a, is a bit of an adventure. Like, I don't know where I'm going to be or what I'm going to be doing. I'm, I hope it will settle down, but uh, yeah. I feel I was saying, we, we used to be staff workers at UCCF, and it feels a little bit more like that now. And, and we're getting on, Clive. We can't. I can't cope. With, I can't cope with that anymore. When I was in my twenties, I could do it. I know. I know. That's it. I'm, I'm certainly not jet setting. Um, yeah, exactly. it's good my carbon footprint is so much better. Yeah, yeah. And my caffeine intake is a lot less. More quality, le- yes. less quantity. Yeah. Uh, so we, you are on the little breakfast, and we did have a discussion before about breakfast and everything else. I'm conscious of that, and. Uh, so if anybody is an ardent listener, they would have known that. But I just thought we'd twist it up a bit because we're coming towards Christmas. And if you happen to have come across this podcast in the summer of 2022, I apologise for the seasonal reference, but uh, keeping it fresh, we are heading towards Christmas. So I thought I'd ask you, what would be your ideal uh, Christmas breakfast if you have one? Yeah, well, I've been thinking about this. Well, firstly, I've been telling my kids off. For, I will not have Christmas mentioned in this house until the middle of December, but I'll forgive you. Uh, I think, more, well, look, over the years, I've tried to pace it. I think I say to myself every morning, um, every Christmas morning, because I'm going to have a Christmas dinner, I'm going to pace myself today. So my ideal Christmas breakfast would probably be very, very light. Unfortunately, what happens is that when the kids open their stockings and the chocolate comes out, it's just kind of like, constant snacking then which is not good but my <laughs> ideal Christmas breakfast would be maybe no breakfast I want to prepare myself for the <laughs> gorging later on there yeah I thought I thought it might have something to do with chocolate I just imagined that you were going to say something like I'm going to have nothing but loads of bits of chocolate and it, it happens yeah you just like go for it chocolate chocolate fest what about uh, a nightmare Christmas breakfast or somebody well yeah I mean something. having said that I think my nightmare Christmas breakfast would be Somewhat having to eat a lot and then like not then just being so full that I don't want anything after lunch. I mean, you know what how it is on that day, Christmas Day anyway. You end up eating really late, so yeah. the nightmare would be having a huge breakfast. I I do try and yeah, again an age related comment. I've got <laughs> I've got to pace myself, man. You've got to pace yourself. You can't just pace yourself eating. I can't I can't, I can't just, just eat what eat I want. Whatever to you want now. No, no, no. And what what would uh, in a kind of dream world as it were what would your dream breakfast be if you were a dream breakfast well yeah i don't know um i mean the last time i was on i said my dream breakfast was always cold takeaway but i i mean that would be obscene on christmas morning to have 
the remains of the Vindaloo from the night before. <laughs> so I think really, I, I refer you to my previous answer as light as possible, knowing that later on there's going to be a lot of feasting. Well, it is, is, is a much more measured then, isn't it? You're really, yeah, exactly. you're really, I mean, you're not allowing yourself many treats here. You're, you're just keeping it very sort of in the real world here. And well, I know, because it, but then I know from Christmas Eve through to kind of New Year's Day, it's just constant snacking, isn't it? So Yeah, no, you're yeah. right. You're right, it is. Okay, so we're going to be spending a bit of time thinking a bit about um, how we relate um, connecting culture with faith in Jesus and aptly you have a new book out just uh, appearing amazingly you've probably got one ready as well there we are yours is probably a bit more kind of uh, thumb through and dog, dog head, yeah. <laughs> uh, magnetic faith uh, making faith magnetic and um, that just came out quite recently didn't it when did it come out again yeah October the 1st it came out yeah okay October the 1st okay so I have done my research I have read it and it was uh, raising a lot of questions which is good and uh, I was thinking about you know when we think about trying to assess where cultures are and raising questions you know the sort of classic thing is that you know Jesus is the answer you know you go to Sunday school and you say to kids you know what's the answer and if a kid says Jesus they've probably got it right or you're sitting in a home group and you're sitting around wondering okay what's the answer to that Jesus okay so you know, Jesus is the answer that you know it's been said. What is the question? And I think obviously there are questions that are raised in terms of trying to make our faith real and known to people. Uh, in the book uh, Making Faith Magnetic, you talk about these sort of five themes in culture that people can't stop yeah. talking about. And uh, what are they? Could you just explain what they sort of? Five yeah. So are? so the book is about. Um, how do we get traction in a culture where we often think that we're kind of struggling to get any kind of purchase? Um, and what I try to do in the book is to say that the Bible presents humans as having, I suppose, these itches that we that they have to scratch and that they answer, not consciously, but the fact mm. that people are made in God's image. Um, Romans 1, they know God, they suppress the truth, but that these questions and all of it, it comes from that little bit in Romans where it says God has revealed his eternal power and divine nature. Yeah. And so we, we, there are certain themes that we cannot help asking about or um, living, living out because we're human. So the book is saying, the Bible tells us there are these itches that human beings have to scratch, whether that's at a, a high philosophical level or at a kind of a street level, all of us, all human beings manifest these um, answers or these um, magnetic points. That's what they're called. The, the, we're always drawn back to them. And there's five mm. of them. Um, and it's based on, on the work of a, um, a, a, a mission, a missiologist, a guy who was in, in, in Indonesia in the uh, 40s and 50s, a guy called J.H. Bavink. So I'm kind of using his work. And he says yeah. there's these five questions. So um, question one, uh, is there uh, this idea of connection? Is there a way to connect? Um, we feel that on the one hand, we're insignificant as humans, but when we connect with something, and it can be anything, connect with, you know, the one who completes me, it can be um, uh, LGBTQ uh, rally, it could be Comic Con, it could be family trees. We, we have a sense of connection and we want connection. When we don't have it, mm. then we want it again and again. So that's the question, is there a way to connect? Um, 
is there a way to live what a norm we we have our own rules about what's acceptable and what's not in any culture so we're always drawing those boundaries somewhere not necessarily christian boundaries but we're always they're always a, a norm a standard so is there a way to live and then deliverance is there a way out um you know often people think there's something wrong with the world and the question is what is what is the ultimate problem and what would the solution be and we're always living mini deliverances as we go through even even the idea that we can be delivered from deliverance i mean that's one example i give is that distraction is a way that we is an example of deliverance i give the example in the book of a pastor friend of mine who's counseling two 30 year old men in his church who are just addicted to the game clash of clans on their mobile phone just because they don't want to face reality mm. so there's deliverance then there's destiny um is there a way to control and this is this wonderful like interplay Babbink has this great line that we both lead our lives and we undergo our lives you know mm. is are we just puppets on a string um do i have any control over you know do i have any freedom um, the government tells me to do it. Uh, I'm stuck in the in the in on the property ladder, or you know, um, there's there's um, fate tells me, or all these kinds of things. On the other hand, we we are told all the time, aren't we, that you need to be you're free, you can do what you want to do. So it's that interplay between fate and freedom, that idea, destiny. People are always living out those kinds of questions. And then finally, where you have these four points, they coalesce on the big question. Is there a way beyond? And that, I suppose, gets into the realm of, is there something beyond transcendence? Yeah, maybe God. I mean, we have to be, in our secular age, I think there's a few steps to go to get there. But that's the question of, you know, if you take all these other points together, as you push on, yeah. what connects us? Is there, a, is there a norm? Are we delivered? Is there yeah. one person in control? And as we think about those things, we ask that bigger question, is there a way beyond? And then that's yeah. that's the, the kind of question of transcendence and God and the higher power. And these, so these five magnetic points, they're not kind of compartmentalized. They kind of mm. they they're all perspectives on the one human person. But yeah. my contention in the book is this is what the Bible says at some level, everyone is asking and everyone is living out, even though they mm. wouldn't consciously say that. So that, that's the thesis yeah. behind the book. Okay. That, that's so you, you covered quite a lot there already. We're going yes. to unpack some of yeah, that, yeah. um just in terms of and i don't want to give the whole book away because obviously you you probably would quite like it if people bought it which would be a good thing um so you talk about being connected and do you think society is becoming more individualistic or do you think it is do you think it's becoming more connected or less connected what, what's your thoughts on that yeah I, th I think we want to be connected in all kinds of ways i mean even the kind of the current environmental questions that we're asking is all about what's our connection with mm. the rest of the planet the, with the world we want to be connected with others i think it's the recognition though that lots of people are lonely and individualistic i mean in some ways sometimes the the, the whole idea of the sometimes christians say oh you know it's it's bad to be individualistic. Well, the idea of the individual, I think, is a great thing because we're not in a society. People are treated with dignity as individuals. That's a really good thing. Yeah. It's when we lose connection with the idea that we're also created in community. And so that play between individual freedom and then being part of something else, we always struggle. So obviously you have some cultures that are very kind of communitarian mm. and, you know, 
you don't distinguish between the individuals. Ours is individualistic, but I do think people want to connect with something or someone. I mean, one example I use in the book is just, you know, as I was living in London on the tube, just the amount of dating agency advertising, you know, the, the if you find that one person who will complete you, people are looking for the one or family trees, yeah. you want rootedness or, you know, you'll know as a musician, the feeling of singing in a stadium with other people rather than with your hairbrush in the bedroom. There's something more going on. It, it, there is a collective consciousness almost, isn't there, of being together. And I think we're always pushing for that. And when we don't have that, we mm. feel kind of, who who are we? You know, what's our place? When we're connected, mm. we feel part. We feel we we belong. Yeah. Um, and there's but, lots of, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, just picking up on that point, I, I think you mentioned something like this in the book, that I think, I think you're right that there seems to be a sort of desire um, to be connected, but it, I would sort of, I sort of wonder whether it's it's done on the individual's terms though. So so yeah. I want to be connected, but I don't want to be that accountable, or I want to be have that experience of the gig, and I'd love to sustain that feeling, but I realize, yes. and I think you mentioned what is it fades, doesn't it? You know that feeling. Yeah, yeah, and, and actually, yeah. I mean, you know, I I want to celebrate a goal with someone next to me who I've never seen at the football match, but do I want to have a conversation with them afterwards? Of course I don't. Yeah. You know what it means to have true relationship in terms of vulnerability, sacrifice, putting yourself out. It's, it is a very, it's connection on my terms. And of course, you know, so social media, we want, we want the connection, but we want to, we want to develop our own identity. So that, I mean, that's where you can do that. You can have the connection, but of course it's not real connection. So there's a yeah. there's a problem. I mean, we want to connect, but are we getting genuine connection? And of course, you know, I'm sure we'll talk in a few minutes about what the gospel has to say about that. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I mean it's interesting. You, you see that whether it's within the church or not, because I was just thinking about like um, how people express themselves. So, sort of individual expressiveism, we see it in terms of like, well, it's I will act like this. And it's my choice. So, for instance, you can have a guy, right, rightly or wrongly, I'm not saying, you know, don't write in and complain, oh, well, it's my right to do that. I'm just going to say, you know, if you go to a football match, you can have a guy, like, singing and clapping and hands in the air, yeah, you know, and then come to church, hands in pockets and looking miserable, you know. So it, it there's a sense in which it's like, well, I'm going to act like this in this way with this yeah. group of people, but I'm not going to act like this in this way with that group of people. Now, you could argue okay, they are two different things. But I I would sort of contest that actually, what does that say also about what we, we see as joy and, and what, what do we worship and what, what, why are we wanting to connect and what are we doing when we connect? You know, what, what's happening when we're connecting, you know? Yeah. And, and now, now there are different personality types who express themselves in different ways. I know that, but, I guess it's just like, I suppose what I was trying to tease out with this question and you're already explaining that is just, I suppose, what does it even mean to connect? You know what I mean? So it's like, yeah, I think it means, I think it is. I mean, on the, the point that I make and the point that the Babbitt makes is that the connection thing is about find is about significance. It is the idea yeah. that when I connect with something that's bigger, yeah. I then have significance because the, the big thing, I am now part of it. And when I'm disconnected from it, then I want to be connected with it again. But you said, you know, there's all kinds of problems with that. 
Mm. Um, and the yeah, so the bigger the thing, I suppose, the more we want to be connected with it and feel part and feel as if we have an identity that yeah. other people have. So it's kind of solidarity. Um, but you're right. I think the key thing is that we want it on our, we often want it on our terms. Yeah. Um, but it's that interplay. It's not, it's not simply it, it it's, we want both things at the same time. We, we want to be the individual, but we also want to be part of something bigger. And the question is, you know, societies and cultures and subcultures just kind of flip and flop between one, one or the, or the other. Um, and it yeah. creates, it can create tension. So just moving moving on from that then and connected to that, um, if you excuse the pun, drama. Uh, so you're um you're talking about uh being connected, and the first thing that you're talking about is in terms of the norm, a way to live, yes, uh, and also a way out. What do you see in terms of these things? Yeah, so so society? the norm thing I think is interesting because on the one hand, people might say, Well, this is the one that we don't, you know, people don't believe in morals or norms but of course they do they, they've got their own standards so yeah um i mean the, you know the, some of the examples are given in the book it's fine is you know someone saying about um, goth culture i mean mm. goth, goth culture has very set standards about what's acceptable or not people want to not conform but people have to con- not conform in the same way it's got its own norms so every culture has its own rules mm. and how do we kind of um how do we police those? What And then what happens when you break them? I mean, this is the whole thing about cancel culture, isn't it? I mean, even today, you know, someone who sent a tweet 10 years ago is now going to be cancelled. And you mm. think, wow, that's a, that is a norm. That is the major norm. That's a hyper norm mm. to say that, you know, there's this bar and, um, that that's uh you know that, you know, another example I give is about a lady, someone wrote into me about a lady Someone overheard a lady in a shop saying, um, going to a shop saying, are your straws paper or plastic? And the guy says paper and he says, I'm so glad I can drink here. So again, (laughs) there's, there's, there's norms that we set. Um, And the question is, where do those norms come from? How are they determined and what happens when you break them? And that then obviously leads to deliverance. The idea is what's the problem in society and how do we solve it? And people have, 101 different ways to say what the problem is and then 100 different one ways to solve it. The ultimate problem, and I do put this in the book, is often is, is death in some ways. I mean, that's the ultimate deliverance that we're looking for. Yeah. Uh, and again, you know, I think COVID has thrown up all kinds of issues as to what that means about, you know, the preservation of life at all costs in terms of quality. And that's the whole, that's death. There's, you know, people trying to extend life, um, mm. uh, but then it's not just deliverance. It's the mini deliverances every day in terms of how do I get through the day or, yeah, what, um, and then what the answer is to that. You know, if ignorance is the problem, then education yeah. is the answer. You know, there's all kinds of mini ways in which we see the problem and the, and the solution. So just picking up on that point about the straw, um, you know, you've got paper straws. That's fine. I can have my drink here. What is going on there then? Um, I think. Well, I think it's a it's a mixture. I mean, we're messy people, aren't we? I think there might there may well be a um, a principled environmental reason where people are genuinely concerned about the use of plastic. One tick. It could be 
I, I have to, it means the whole virtue signaling thing, isn't it? I have to, I, I want to be seen to be like this person, mm-hmm. even though I'm very inconsistent and I'm, it, it, again, there's an individual individualizing of, of it. Yeah. Um, or, you know, you could say hypocrisy, but you know what I mean? And that's an inconsistency. Yeah, yeah. So I think it, 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 it's often mixed motivations. The point is, though, that even, even if we don't live up to those norms, we know they're important. I remember discussing this once in the class where some people who are students of mine had worked in kind of big business, you know, like you know, KPMG or where they've got they live with these kinds of values and norms. And yeah. someone said, look, they've got them on the wall, but no one believes in them. But the point is they still have to be seen to be adhering to them. So even yeah. if we know we're not going to follow them, the fact is they're these by they're still there. We still think those norms are important, even if we know in our heart mm. of hearts no one obeys them yeah. or no one cares about them. They have to be seen to be there. Yeah. Um, so there's all kinds of issue, issues there, aren't there? Um, yeah. 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 I, I think your point about, you know, the the consistency of that is the challenge, isn't it? Because if you sort of say, oh, great, you know, you've got paper straws, but then the question I'll be asking is, does that person use... Uh, have milk in plastic containers or they have like glass bottles you know it's very hard for us to be consistent in that way isn't it and i wonder whether i mean some of the you know i'm don't get me wrong you know it's great if you can save plastic and and save the you know sort of trashing the planet in that way but i i guess the thing is it's not always like able to be as consistent but part of it is also like, okay, I think you're right. There is a bit of virtual signaling, like, oh, oh, look at me, get me, you know. And then linking that with the cancel culture, obviously people like J.K. Rowling, who, you know, yeah. people who absolutely loved Harry Potter. Oh, no, we're not going to be reading Harry Potter anymore because, yeah. you know, of what she said. And, and, it's like, and the problem is that there is no, that's the point. There's no solution. There's a um, one philosopher, Charles Taylor, makes the point that people, the human humanists thought they were doing the world a favor by saying let's do away with the idea of sin and failure and total depravity but the problem is when you do away with that concept the bar is so high that when people can't meet the bar there's yeah. no way back you yeah. either, you end up being coercive or making people do things and this is the thing you know yeah. you know it's it's a very high bar we've set for ourselves where someone sends a tweet 10 years ago and now is being won't have a livelihood where there's yeah. no comeback there's no so again yeah. i mean maybe well that's an interesting just, point yeah. you, you almost say yeah you, we're increasing the bar of morality it's like you know yeah we'll decide, yes, yeah you know we'll yeah. decide right and wrong but then if we were having this discussion 15 years ago people would be like why are you so obsessed with deciding what's right and wrong there isn't anything right and wrong you know so yeah. we can see how transient things move no no exactly and, and again i think in some ways the the good, the good news that Christians do believe in a concept of sin is actually good because it does say there is a way back, there is restoration, there there can be the possibility of forgiveness. Yeah. You know, even like everyone's been talking about this book, Douglas Murray, The Madness of Crowds, which is an excellent book, a very social kind of conservative critique of culture. It is excellent, but he diagnoses without any. He he's got this little bit on forgiveness, and he's got no answers. And you know, he says, "Where has forgiveness gone?" But where, where you know, we've got such a great thing to say there. Whereas yeah. I think he's scrabbling around to find out what is the answer. Um, yeah, and that's an interesting point. Just picking up on that briefly, because 
if somebody diagnoses the problem but has no solution, that's one issue. But it seems to me from what you're saying with talking about the norm and, and even a bit of the way out is it's like we're trying to sort of find out or find a way what is the norm or it's like whatever that person says in the media or whatever that person says in that latest book now we've all got to like fall in line with what yes yeah is, and know? yeah and that's the thing where does where do these standards come from are they culturally generated and you would you would hope what's happening is the more you ask it you more you think well actually unless we're going to be completely relativistic yeah. they must come from somewhere where do they come from and then again i think you know we've got something to say yeah absolutely and then you also refer in the book to two other, well, another area called destiny or what we might yeah. call control. And you give a couple of helpful examples about superstition and control. Can you maybe yeah, just yeah, share yeah. one this, or two stories? That- yeah, sure. So this is this is my favorite one. I think Baddock's <laughs> on something here. And again, he says, human beings, we both think we lead our lives and we undergo our lives. Now, some of that's temperamental, some of that's cultural. I mean, you know, are you a leader or an under? I, know, I meet some people who just think, even Christians who think they kind of undergo their lives every day. Others are much more kind of positive. So there's that kind of, I don't know, it's a right brain, left brain thing. But I think more it's this, this idea of what freedoms do we have or is everything determined? And mm. that opens up the whole door to superstition. If I do something, will something else happen? So the example that I use that kind of is this, someone a student wrote in and said um, they're working in an office and you must never say the word quiet in the office, as in it's quiet today, because immediately people will get very cross and say, yeah. um, don't say that, You'll, we'll get a busy shift now. And I thought this was just a bit weird. And then I realised it's everywhere. You know, my son's a policeman. He said, you're right, you don't say it's quiet on the, on the radio. You say it's Q tonight. And in um, a lot of professional organisations now, there's all kinds of things going on there. But it's this idea that if you say this word, something will happen and it's this um and you see that kind of fatalism and you know it doesn't surprise me that horoscopes ouija boards tarot i mean they're all in you know certain sects of society they're very popular because people want people want a sense of destiny and meaning but at the other time other people feel oppressed as if they don't have any control over anything you know what can we do about our, our planet what can i do to get a mortgage it, and then that's where the whole victimhood stuff mm. comes in because it's all stuff done to me. And where's my agency? So destiny is trying to explore that. And of course, fate and freedom are classic kind of philosophical concepts, but we live these, everyone lives these out every day. What freedom do I have? What mm. agency do I have? Or is it all, you know, do I have any control? And this yeah. magnetic point is, I think, quite rich in terms of exploring that. And then, sorry, and then the, the last one, yeah. The higher power, is is, is there a way beyond it, one of the things I've been working out, I'm still trying to think this through, Clive, is that when Bavink, when this guy Bavink was in Indonesia, work living with other religions, as you might, other religious mm. traditions, that in, in some ways the higher power, the God, the what you thought about God came first, really. Here, yeah. it's almost the last thing you come to because mm. people, it's only as you explore these other questions that people, secular people, I think, really do want to ask, is there a way beyond in terms of transcendence? So in the book, I talk about people who want kind of secular religious experiences. And again, it could be the idea of a concert or, you know, a friend of mine's dad went to the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem, complete atheist, but felt something there. Mm. It's the kind of, um, 
like religion for atheists kind of idea, this idea that we're more than the sum of our parts. And mm. is, is there a way beyond? Now, I think if you keep on asking that, you do come to questions of, well, is there a something or a someone? Is there, a, is there mm. what we might call God? And it, it's that pushing towards it um, that asks those questions. But you only get there, I think, as you answer the other magnetic points, you know, what is the thing? What is the thing or someone connecting us? Who gives us the rules? What's the norm? Who is there anyone who can deliver us? Is there someone who is in control? And as you ask those questions more and more, you think, well, actually, you need to come to this idea of is is there something beyond? Or is as John Lennon said, you know, above us is only sky. And so I think the more you push into the points, you more mm. you more come to this idea of a way beyond. So that's how they kind of work together. And, yeah. and again, just to reiterate, mm. I don't, I'm not saying that people wake up in the morning saying, oh, I need to think about destiny or norm. People are living their lives, but they're answering the questions in their lives. And that's mm. where the encouragement is, is as we look at the world through the word, through the Bible, the Bible says, of course, because they're made in God's image and we're naturally asking these questions because we're made to worship. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I mean, you know, you touch on music. I, mean, I was partly laughing to myself when you spoke about higher powers, thinking have Coldplay stolen Dan's theme <laughs> here. But you know, it's interesting. I and mean, when you when you take somebody like Coldplay, who are kind of mainstream mass appeal, talking about higher power, and then read recent interviews with Chris Martin talking about how he's brought up in a church, but actually what he's looking for is what we might call all theism, you know, it's just like, oh, there's a power out there, or the, the universe is speaking to us. And then you hear about people like Taylor Swift talking about, oh, I think the universe gave me this song. And people are like, you know, I think the universe is sort of guiding us, you know. And and so it is referring to this sort of higher power, but it's so yeah. nondescript, you know, it's like it, it's yes, and, and through, you know. And I mean, biblically speaking, because we're we're suppressing the truth. It's very convenient because if it's a power that's impersonal, impersonal things don't worry about what we're doing. We can do what we want because it's only yeah. it's only when we start talking about personal God, and then what kind of personal God is it? Is it a God who's absolute? So yeah. the 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 gods that we make for ourselves fit with our our unwillingness, well, our willingness to kind of suppress the, the truth. It's like those two things are linked together. Or you go the other way and you say either God is so far away, he doesn't care what I do, or God is so near that it's part of me that actually God's God's responsible, not me. So yeah. it's very it's very convenient how we um suppress the truth and substitute it for other things. Because of course the Bible says that we make we make idols, we make them to worship them. They, they come from us because we don't want to deal with God and the idea that, you know, we would be personally accountable mm. to God. And that's where the magnetic points come from is saying we've been built to be dependent upon God and accountable to him. We suppress the truth and we place mm. it with other things, but that idea of dependence and accountability is still there. Yeah. Just not to God, but it, what the, the fact is it will, God substitutes do not work. And there's, there's always going to be a, yeah. a kind of a crack that we need to kind of um, explore. Yeah. And it's interesting. I mean, as we've just been speaking, I think actually the metaphor of a big gig like Glastonbury actually sort of connects with a lot of the points that you're making because it's like yeah. people are going there and they're looking for sort of the transcendent in being connected, the transcendent in escaping, the transcendent in the higher power. And it's like hands raised in the air, part of a bigger thing. 
and people will sort of say oh it was like yeah somebody might articulate it's like a spiritual experience but again i think the point you're making about they might not be asking the question but living it is really helpful because i think again you look at a mass festival like that you see the evidence of people who are wanting to do all those things that you're saying you know but they're not they're not asking the question how can i be fulfilled in these areas they're going with it you know yeah yeah and and that's the um i think when we last chatted in the previous book i wrote called plugged in there's that passage in isaiah where the 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 person who makes the idol then uses the the wood that they used to have their dinner worship the idol and Isaiah's like the whole point of it is a typical Isaiah saying you know this is stupid but the, yeah. the key verse is I think is it 44 10, no one stops to think yeah. and that's the thing I mean I, I always say whether I'm teaching in a class or talking to you you're, you're kind of non-Christian friends people who don't know Christ they're not in a parallel they're not having a zoom parallel zoom conversation on how they're not a Christian <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah, you know true, they're, they're, yeah. they're just li- they're just living but how do we get, but the key thing is how do we get people to stop and think? How do we get them? And we have to yeah. have courage there because, or an, an encouragement is always this idea that if, again, if they are made in God's image, if they're human, yeah. then they, they will be, they will be answering these questions in their lives. And we just need to have the creativity and the patience yeah. and the time to build relationships, to be able to kind of probe those so that leads me in uh, that that point that you've just been making there is one of the things that occurred to me as you as you were going through these different points and I got to the bit where you're looking at making how do we connect them to Christ uh, I was trying to think of kind of real life situations where I live the community people I know and I was thinking you know sometimes it's quite hard to talk to people just about you know their garden or their work or football or even the weather and actually it seems quite a massive jump to go from that to Jesus. But so how do you sort of bridge that? Yeah. Yeah. So I I think, yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, we spoke about this before, but I think the importance of building relationships that over time, and again, in our context, those relationships take a long time, especially if people are suspicious of, of talking about themselves. And they can be culturally specific. I mean, you know, you were noting the differences between not just, scotland and england on these things but even where you are on which side of edinburgh means a different type of temperament and all of these things you've had i mean that's you just need to factor that in i think it is building little steps if it's saying these five magnetic points are big buckets to put things in and that you can start to see trace people's lives in what they're doing back to how they're answering those magnetic points where do they find their points of connection where do they find their norms um and then when you do that it's then recognizing well actually you we can start to conceive well maybe we if we were asked we could say something about how we find connection or where we think norms are from or what we think about deliverance or our relationship with god in terms of destiny um again i can't you know it's it's very difficult you need to be in the situation to be able to talk those things through but conceptually you can start to say oh yeah i can start making there could be some traction here. Um, uh, now we now one of the things we're not very good at doing, and is how do we then expose these these um, false ways or these wrong ways of answering the magnetic points? Because we know that um, they will always lead to dissatisfaction or mm. disillusionment. So uh, a bit like the um, 
the state the 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 stadium experience. I think it's trying to prick the bubble to say, yeah, you felt great at Glastonbury for those three days, but then you're back at work on Monday morning, and you know you, it hasn't solved all your. You know, it's it's those kinds of things. It's trying to throw water yeah. over those moments, not to deny them because I think they do mm. tap into what it means to to be human. But even yeah. like you know, as as we've been discussing. It's great that we want connection with the earth. Our place in the in the environment around us is so crucial. But we're the fact is we are pretty disconnected. Mm. You know, we want connection, but there's disconnection, and all the answers that we're giving don't seem to be working. Yeah. So, what does that say about the solution? Um, mm. Like that. Yeah, I, I think you're right. You're talking about relationship. I mean, sometimes I think that. Well, it's like any relationship you can't really get to know what people think or what they believe or don't believe unless you spend time with them and unless you connect and i guess one of the challenges as you were saying that dan i was thinking well you know there's there's a work to be done here isn't there within the church in terms of actually we need to be thinking about the areas that you've spoken about these five areas and well, what do I think about yeah the norm, or do I just accept and yes. absorb things or that, what do I think in terms of yeah. destiny do I truly believe that I don't need to fear death. You know, I don't need to be yeah. in control of situations. Or, or, the, or the God's, you know, I think, look, that's a, that in some ways, Clyde, that's the key point. The book, uh, it's at the end where I, I say, actually, with these magnetic points, yes, these could be helpful in our evangelism and witness, but actually we need to be applying to them to, them, to ourselves first. Yeah. And I give the example of not thinking of our lives as a, like a pie chart where we think, you know, I do. I'm going to do evangelism today. I'm going to go to church today. This is my work. It's more. Our lives are like a flow diagram, and everything kind of um, links to to everything else. So, as I apply the magnetic points to myself, so that that destiny one is a great point. You know, mm. it's you know the Christian way of viewing this things the things is that we have a loving heavenly Father who is sovereign, and yet a God who is sovereign but doesn't take away our personal responsibility. Yeah. or our personal creativity or a plan for our lives. Yeah. Now that's a wonderful thing, but how do Christians, how do we, as we struggle in our own indwelling sin, well, mm. we either say God hasn't got a plan. He's not in control or God's got it in for me, or <laughs> it's someone else's fault and not mine. There's all yeah. kinds of ways in which we have to deal with these things. So we need to be applying the points to ourselves, um, you know, on the yeah. connection point, you know, yeah. how, how are we, you know, Jesus is the one in whom we should be connected and living our lives within the church. Yeah. But often we're looking for connection. Our identity is seen in other things. It's in still in our job, still in our nationality, still in whatever. Mm. Yeah. So as we apply the magnetic points to ourselves and we are, we are then transformed by the spirit. Yeah. Then I think naturally, then we want to talk about that transformation more with others. And it becomes naturally evangelistic rather than thinking, I'm going to do some evangelism now where I talk about these magnetic points. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. And I think that's the ongoing work, isn't it? That actually, and part of the reason we're doing this podcast, The Little Breakfast, part of the reason you're writing this book is that we are trying to remind ourselves that we need to be thinking um, biblically, culturally. We need to be kind of connecting yeah. the two up and it isn't compartmentalized lives. And I feel like, I know for 20 years I've been on repeat about this, but I think we have to be on repeat about this because I think the basic things of duality, whether it's secular or sacred or spiritual or non-spiritual, whether it's culturally engaged or not, these are all 
such important things in terms of living our whole life for the glory of God. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and in Christ. some ways, you, Clive, as a pastor, your job is to be on repeat of it. That's the point. That's <laughs> your role. Is that that's the point? Because yeah. as people come in every week, and their compass is all over the place, and they've been pulled in all kinds of different directions. That magnet, you know, that's where the means of grace is so important to sit under the word and to be remagnetized, to mm. do to do Lord's Supper, to be in a community, and then to be kind of pushed out again. Yeah. To be magnetic. That's the, what the last chapter is about. About mm. how we, how can we be magnetic? Yeah. And we need the church. The local church has to be one of the main ways in which that that happens. The main way in which that happens. Yeah. And yeah. the pastor's role in terms of being that person who is going to help through the preaching of the word through the sacraments is remagnetizing us for our our vocation is a is a crucial yeah. role so keep on yeah. repeating it <laughs> yeah well that's good um that's a good reminder isn't it because actually yeah, it's or whether it, yeah you're using the magnetic uh, metaphor but it's almost like resetting the compass as well isn't it i suppose you could yep. say as well like you know, what, what direction are we going to head in um, so in terms of um, cultural shifts over the last couple of years, regarding these connection points, I mean, obviously we've been navigating this pandemic. At the start of the pandemic, I was thinking, okay, this is interesting, because if you refer to your book and you talk about things like the norm and you think about a way out and things like that, or destiny, yeah, yeah. you know, wow, this could go off the chart here because everybody yes. is going to be in the same boat here, right, in terms of thinking about a pandemic, potentially people getting ill and death. Do you think there's been any cultural shifts in the past couple of years? And like in terms of connection points, are you seeing people connecting more to this stuff or, or not? What, what's your experience? Uh, well, I mean, I think, you know, as long as there are human beings around, there's always going to be these, they're going to be periods where these things are more talked about than others. I mean, I, I don't, that's the thing. I, I suppose I don't want to, get coronavirus or the pandemic out of perspective in terms of the history of humanity and what humans have had to deal with. And yeah, I'm surely, I think there are opportunities um, and we have had opportunities, but also there's like, I suppose, rabbit holes. I mean, before we came on, I mean, the whole thing about conspiracy theories, even among kind of Christians, that's, that's a kind of a, 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 where connection has kind of been hyper connection in a kind of quite strange way. And, or we could talk about, you know, the polarization of, social media and how that's unhelpful so i think there's there are some opportunities but there are some things that have been kind of that are even more entrenched that are not are, are not good either it's always kind of swings and roundabouts really mm. I, yeah. I i think the, the the um maybe death has been talked about more but in some ways because we're still suppressing the truth it's almost become what i've called almost the idolatry of life is that you know this idea that quantity of life is expended at quality and that's that's mm. the whole huge issue isn't it to, to deal with the issue of risk and um that's yeah. that's a very theological question um, yeah. and are we going to have responsible um discussion about it um uh is the church going to have a responsible discussion i mean you know as a pastor you know dealing with, for you coming out of covid or there are big theological questions there that I think need to be answered that you see kind of at a superficial level in terms of mask wearing or, you know, all these things. But again, I think they, they, they're deeper the theological questions that we should be wrestling with. Um, so is there a shift? I mean, 
oh, I don't know. I, I may maybe maybe there's there's little things, but I don't know whether there's a major shift. And that's the point of the points, isn't it? In in different cultures, these will manifest in, in different ways. I don't think Western culture, especially, or humanity, has been overturned by this pandemic. Um, but I think there are always opportunities that we need to be taking hold of. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think the way that people have thought about safety or security maybe has changed. I think you're right in terms of being entrenched. I think some people that have already been a bit cautious have maybe become a bit more that way and others that have been a bit more gun-ho have maybe gone a bit, oh, well, you know, you only live once, go for it, you know. And yeah, I yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Maybe there's, there's an intensification because both, yeah, because both of those things, you've had critics before the pandemic saying we live in a very risk-averse society. Well, COVID has proved that. And others who have said we need to break away from this risk-averse society and the reaction to COVID has proved that. So it's just like an intensification, which then unfortunately then does lead to polarisation and then people can't talk to each other about it. And I think, I do think going forward, the church has a really important role in providing us a place where we can have just civil conversation, where we can just like say, actually, let's talk about how we differ on these things and let's do it in a way that doesn't then cancel each other or think that each other is kind of, you know, Satan incarnate, but that we do yeah. actually then say, okay, you've got a different view, but um, let's talk about it. We've, we've, we're losing civility as a society. And I do think the church yeah. has an important civic role, which then is a gospel opportunity. Yeah. And I, th- I think my experience of that has been, you know, when we think about, what does it actually mean to love one another, prefer one another? What's the body of Christ mean? I think one of the big shifts for me or what's become clearer as a result of the challenges of the past two years in terms of church, not, not necessarily culture uh, at large, has been the, seeing the importance of the body of Christ. Yeah. Sometimes I think we sort of saw church as, okay, well, church is a good thing. Yeah, of course we'll go to church, of course we'll worship. But yeah. seeing the importance of gathering in a way that we are the yeah. body and Christ is the head and the significance of the, the differences that we have is that, you know, some are feet and some are hands. And so, but actually living with that tension of the difference and, and learning to love one another in Christ. Yeah. Is, is I mean, this is what I try to say in the book. I mean, I would not, I'd be disappointed if people read the book and say the application is only how does Jesus in my own kind of personal relationship with him change? Yeah. It's, it's not just about communion with God. It is about community. It is about the local church is meant to be the closest thing that we have this side of the new heaven and the new earth as to what this looks like. And it's not perfect. You know, I've, I've given up. It's funny. I was, I, for years, I used the example of the church being like a show home on a building site where, you know, the show home is what you have now. But of course, you know, my church is not a show home, nor is yours. It's more like this huge restoration project that we're working on. But the vision is amazing. And I think we need to give people tangible, you know, this idea of connection. You know, where do we see connection? Where, where is the ultimate community, this side of heaven? It is in the church. That's where it should be. And people, when yeah. I do this stuff, people say to me, oh, I can't give my church as an example. It's such a bad example. I mean, well, shame on all of us because the church is a royal priesthood, a holy nation. It is meant to be showing unity and diversity in a way that's supernatural. It's meant to be answering all of these magnetic points as we do things together. So I I, I would hope 
And I think I, I would hope you're right that part of the whole pandemic has shown the importance of being together and what it means to be a community of yeah. Christians. Um, yeah. And we need that again, because without that, we will be isolated and, and we need the we need pastors. We need to come under church authority. We need to be accountable to others. We need the means of grace. We need all of these things. Yeah. And as a Liverpool fan, I was very intrigued to see that you've got a couple of quotes there from Jurgen Klopp. So what can Jurgen Klopp teach us about these connections? Yeah, well, it's good. <laughs> I mean, yeah, not not his slightly grumpy interview on Sunday after the greatest team in the world beat them. But anyway, no, there was an article that was written by a minister called John Wood who talked a little bit about what Klopp said about his own faith being brought up in a Lutheran background. And I don't think it's too far. I mean, I don't know. I mean, at the end of the day, I don't know Jürgen Klopp. I don't know where he stands with Jesus. But certain things that he said along the way would recognize, obviously Christianity has been quite an influence in his life. But the way that John talks about it is really interesting because it's this idea of with Klopp, there is a freedom, there is a creativity, there is a liberation about um, that I, th- I would I would think, you know, that the, the, the gospel brings, whether in Klopp's life, I don't know, but this mm. idea of the Lutheran background, this idea, if you're saved by grace, there's a freedom you have to in, in Christ to, uh, you know, experiment, to be creative, mm. to, to laugh, all yeah. of those things. And I think Wood was saying, isn't it interesting, there might be a connection between Klopp's demeanour, which is often encouraging people to be creative, and that might be part of just his a worldview that that he was brought up in that Lutheran background where these thing these kinds of things are important. And it's just that freedom to create. And I know that you know mm. this is something that's dear to your heart. That <laughs> you know the gospel of grace should give us that freedom to say, mm. I'm going to explore the world. What am I going to do today with yeah. without fear? and taking risks as well that's the other thing that we can take risks not that we're irresponsible but that we can you know there is a creativity that comes from being saved by grace and um i think it was just trying to recognize that i mean i also thought that one of the examples you gave which was really profound and refreshing was that this ability that you had to kind of reset, if you like, after like say losing a game. I know you said obviously recently it wasn't, it was particularly, it was a bit grumpy, but didn't he say something along the lines of like, you know, life's a bit more important than football and, and you, you Oh yeah, yeah. No, and again, I think, I mean, I don't know, I don't know whether it's apocryphal or not, but this thing about, yeah. you know, training on Christmas day and stuff, you know, you know, I think apparently he has said, you know, well, the, on Christmas day, we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. And yeah. um, there's, a, there's an interview he gave in German on German television, which you can find it on YouTube where he's yeah. like, it's a, a brilliant gospel presentation about Christ's sacrifice on the cross. And then, yeah. but yeah, I mean, I think you, one has to be careful that you don't load too much. I, I mean, that's, that's not fair, fair on him, but I think it's more, there does seem to be a particular worldview or posture that he has. Yeah. That I think Wood is making a connection and saying Klopp has said he was brought up in a very Lutheran background, a Christian background, yeah. and it seems to be reflected there. Well, like, like you say, you know, it's, it's that freedom that when you know, you know, you're, you're justified by God and that um, in Christ and that, you know, there's no condemnation in him and that you're free by grace it's a freedom to live, you know, rather than sort of tiptoeing around, I guess. And, yeah. and I think you do see that in the way that he treats his players, the way that he approaches the game and the way that I think he does, although obviously clearly he loves football. And sorry, if you watch this podcast, you're not a massive football fan. We will move on in just a moment, <laughs> but it's just, it's just, it's refreshing. I think people look at him and see he's quite a charismatic figure, 
but he's refreshing, yeah. you know. And of course, he's not perfect. And we've we're discussing this now, and he'll end up messing up at some point or whatever. Yeah. We're, we're not making out that he is perfect, but we get that in these connection points to the gospel that there is a kind of freedom that comes with that. that yeah, we there is liberated, you know. Um, yeah. So, lastly, just how can we be magnetic then? What what would you kind of take? Yeah. So, I think I mean my my hope and dreams for the book is that. People will read it and then they'll they'll use my examples as that's what they are, examples, but they will want to do the work themselves. And I'd love it if churches got together and went through the material. And hopefully, I mean, you know, God willing, there might be a kind of a course or something that you you can do with mm. link to the book in the next year or so. But that you'd sit down and you'd think, what does what are the, how do the how does my do my friends and relationships that I have, how do they express these points? How do we as a church in our local community answer the point in a way that's going to give us traction? So we really work on contextualizing the point. It's not just the examples that I gave or general cultural trends. It's saying in my area, in my church, in my locality, what does this mean for us as a church? And I would hope leaders would be thinking that. I would hope church members would be thinking that, not just as individuals, but as a church. Mm -hmm. And I think by that, for pastors, I think there's a little bit at the end on how we might use this framework in terms of preaching. You know, if this naturally comes out, if this is how the Bible describes human beings, and as we're preaching any passage, we might think in our preparation, ah, this might hit this magnetic point. Not that you're kind of saying that in the sermon, you're kind of mm. not showing, the, showing the workings. Mm. But I think there's all kinds of ways. Um, but I think to keep magnetic, I think it's the things that, that, that we've said. It's being located and rooted in a local congregation, coming under um, authority, hearing the preached word, um, administer, you know, doing the sacraments, all of those things that we would say are bread and butter. Actually, they're the things that we need to make us magnetic. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, that, that was, that's the, um, that I think that's some of, some of the answers, but this thing yeah. about working it out, what it means in our local community, you know, what does it mean for you in your situation in Scotland? What does it mean for someone in Colombia? What does it mean for someone in you know mm. Australia? That's the that's the plan yeah. because all these magnetic points are configured slightly differently for different cultures. That's the whole point. Yeah, absolutely. So the book is out. Where can people get it? Oh, uh, all available bookshops. Well, Amazon, <laughs> Good Book Company. The good, Christian, so it's published yeah. by the Good Book Company, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, Good Good Book yeah. Company. Tim Keller's written the foreword, um, yeah. and it, they, it kind of goes in tandem with the other book I did plugged in. You can read them separately, but in some yeah. ways, this is a bit of a of a, of a follow up. But um, yeah. yeah, read it. And then I, I always give a plug that at the end of the book, there's a, there's, there's an email address to magnetic points at gmail.com because I'm trying to collect a directory of examples as people read the material and then say, Oh, I've seen that. And I've had lots of people writing mm. me in saying, here's an example. Do you think this is destiny or totality? And <laughs> all the great examples in the book are not mine. They're, they're from students. They're from church people in churches all around the country. So yeah. please, if you, um, if you like the material, Mm. Um, show your appreciation by sending in some good examples as, as you see these things in your own life. Okay, well, that's great. So we, we've got a Facebook page, which is uh, The Little Breakfast, and people can uh, like that, and they can also um, post any examples that Dan's talking about there or questions, and we can forward that on. Um, and also, if there's stuff that people agree with or disagree with or have got a different point, we'd love to kind of have that on the page as well. Um, mm. And 
you'll be able to watch other episodes of The Little Breakfast on YouTube. Um, I think this is our 18th episode, so we'll get some traction now. And also available on Apple and Spotify and wherever you get your normal uh, podcast from on the audio version if you don't want to see my mugshot and dan's then you know no. well you, sometimes people like audio versions don't they I, I i'm kind of like i sometimes like to watch it sometimes i like to listen to it so it's your <laughs> choice <laughs> having said that if you listen to the audio now you're like i'm gonna go watch the, the video of this to see what they're on about so um, no, don't yeah don't don't <laughs> right thanks so much for joining us again and um thanks also, Clive. People thanks everyone about the Thank work you. of crosslands crosslands is it where do they yeah crosslands forum so yeah the new center for cultural engagement and mission you can go to the website and look up crosslands and you'll find it and we're just trying to do we're just trying to provide lots of resources for churches to think about culture and engage culture um lots of things that you can sign up to we've got a great little course on um, technology how do we live in a technological age coming up some stuff on um how do we deal with the whole issue of sexuality and gender? That's coming up as well. Lots of short courses, lectures. So go there and see some resources you might be interested in. Great. Well, thanks for letting us know that. And thanks again for joining us. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Clive.